hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by our great sponsors. BoldGrid works as a suite of plugins designed to help you create WordPress websites faster and easier than ever. BoldGrid will improve your workflow by providing direct access to free themes, page templates, photography, design elements, forms, galleries, and much more right from your dashboard. And the Bold Grid page builder allows you to easily drag and drop and edit this content as you see fit, all without having to use shortcodes. To learn more, head over to buildpodcast.net slash boldgrid. That's buildpodcast.net slash B-O-L-D-G-R-I-D. If you like building things on the internet, especially e-commerce things, check out the Open Jobs with Prosperous. They are a small but friendly bunch that loves building software for entrepreneurs. They're the company behind WooCommerce Subscriptions, a plugin with thousands of users. But that's just the beginning. Prosperous has some new products in the works, and they're looking for talented folks to help them. If you dream of working in your pajamas, sipping macchiatos at your favorite cafe, or while soaking up the sun in Costa Rica, you can make it happen. Prosperous is a distributed company with employees all over the world. They offer some neat benefits like stock options, hardware allowance, and professional development. But the best benefit is the autonomy to do your best work, however you work best. If this sounds like your kind of gig, check out their open positions at buildpodcast.net slash prosperous. That's buildpodcast.net slash P-R-O-S-P-R-E-S-S. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Dave Bissett, uh, who is one of the organizers for WordCamp Miami, one of the biggest local WordCamps, uh, at least stateside. Dave, how are you doing today? I'll let you know when I finish my coffee. <laughs> we are recording earlier in the morning here. I, uh, I am an annoyingly, annoyingly a morning person, which Dave learned at WordCamp US. So I will I will be very chipper until you finish your coffee. Uh, but <laughs> you're being very you're being very kind. It's three thirty in the afternoon right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> so Dave and I met at WordCamp US specifically for the post status event. And and uh, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do for your day job, and then how you got into organizing uh, WordCamp Miami? Well, I've been a full time freelancer for like probably 10 years with with WordPress started off very early on with WordPress 1.5 I'm current um, I've, so I've always been building customized sites they which get more and more complex I do themes I do plugins and I do a lot of work with BuddyPress I now work for a company called Awesome Motive which handles plugins such as Optin Monster Enviro Gallery and Soliloquy among other nice. plugins so I more specifically focus on the Envira Gallery plugin, and I've got a couple of side projects on the side. So, awesome! That sounds great. And then, uh, so 
Uh, when did you start with, with WordCamp Miami? 2009, I think. We actually, this is our ninth year for WordCamp Miami. And wow. Yeah. So back when the first WordCamp Miami was really a room that would, for one day, that was, that held, I think, maybe like 80 people or something like that. WP Candy covered it. <laughs> I'm sure you how old it was. <laughs> so, yeah. So there, it was kind of a, you know, it was kind of a track, I think, on a, it was part of a Bar Camp Miami thing and bar camp Miami or bar camps uh, at that time were really were really at the forefront of these you know community social events you know like a large meetup or kind of like work camps they were unconferences and it was a for the time they were really popular and they still exist today so after I experienced that John Jacoby Batad Dunbar and a few other people that that lived in Miami at the time, and I got together in a room and we decided let's just throw our own dedicated WordCamp Miami. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the year when the first WordCamp was, but it really wasn't like maybe WordCamps were going on for two years at this time. Yeah, I, I think like WordCamp San Francisco, the first one was like 2006, but the next one, like I went to uh, WordCamp New York in 2008, but 2009 is still very early, like well before a formalized process for WordCamps started. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe it was only, maybe it was maybe two years since like, uh, like we were, like they were popular and they, you know, we were aware, well, quote unquote aware of them. But, but yeah, it was so early on that there wasn't, there wasn't any organization at all in terms of from the WordPress Foundation. And when I say that, I mean, just there wasn't anything set up yet. They were so they were still so new that you were we were still there was no guidance. There was no game plan really set. There were no handbooks. There was no mentorships. There was nothing. So a lot of things we learned, we learned on our own. And, you know, yeah, it was a, I think our so our first work camp was at a university in Miami with about like I I like to say maybe like around. 200, 250 people, maybe for, I think we did it for, I think it was maybe only, a, I, oh, I think we started with a two day event always. So, but anyway, that, yeah. So it was, so yeah, the, back in those days, you were pretty much running, running things on, by the skin of your teeth. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess it's worth noting, right. That, uh, word camps, first of all, for those who, for those who don't know who might be listening, WordCamps are, you know, these weekend WordPress-focused conferences. And these were not something that were kind of, like, handed down by the WordPress Foundation or, or the WordPress powers that be, right? These were, like, community-organized events that seemed to take off, especially in the last few years, right? <laughs> yeah, they keep uh, – the number of has grown dramatically in the past couple of years. I think there's – I think 2016, there was a big bump. And we're starting to see work camps now in in places that most people have not heard of, you know, like smaller cities and also cities and locations in Russia and India, and which is fantastic because without that concentrated level of support, then there's it's really harder to get a work camp together in some countries outside of the U.S. So I think, and I think that's where, and I think that falls in line with what the WordPress you know, focus has been to 
you know, trying to make WordPress available to as many people as possible, especially those who don't speak English. So I think WordCamp's been following along in that, in the same, in the same path. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I organized WordCamp Scranton in 2015. I've been involved in either through speaking or, or other ways, uh, involved in a lot of WordCamps. But like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a fairly formalized process now. You kind of start off with a little bit of seed money. You have a mentor. Uh, you have essentially a checklist. But none of that existed in 2009. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about like the the research and work that went into uh, event planning in the early years of, of WordCamps? I don't think there was much. I think <laughs> um, I don't even I didn't I didn't even attend a WordCamp before I organized my first WordCamp Miami. WordCamp Miami was the first official work camp I was ever at. And I, it's hard to remember back then, but we, we had, we had people go to other previous work camps. And so we, we had firsthand knowledge of that. Uh, I can't remember what work camps are, uh, the fellow organizers went to, uh, but we really, but we had a lot of, we had general conference knowledge because we we attended conferences down here. South Florida and more Miami specifically was a host to a number of tech conferences in the late 2000s, I'm drawing a blank on the one Ryan Carson, maybe was his name was, was, oh, or Future of Web Apps was, was a conference that mm-hmm. used to be hosted in Miami several times. And that was my, one of my first exposures in, to larger conferences. And also I met some people there that I eventually would meet up at other work camps across the country. Back then, in the late 2000s, there were not a lot of, large-scale tech conferences, at least ones that are approached general affordability. I know CNET, that was the time where CNET was still a thing and running conferences as well. So there wasn't a lot, you know, like I said, bar camps were just becoming a thing. And those, you know, the concept of local community-run conferences was still kind of fresh and kind of new. And I look back at the attendance of the of the Bar Camp Miami where Work Camp Miami is at. And I actually saw a lot of interesting people and big and bigger names than, than that you would recognize today, like uh, Kevin Marks and Ryan Carson and all these other people that <laughs> they were probably there because it was so new and there, there wasn't 10,000 conferences at that time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, exactly. Like I remember, I mean, Matt Mullenweg came to the New York one uh, in 2008 and it was the only one I really knew of. I just was like, oh, a WordPress event. So that's, I mean, that's really interesting. And, and you know, like we both said, they've grown a ton uh, in in the last uh, couple of years. I'll, I'll include in the show notes some statistics from State of the Word, um, Matt's kind of end-of-the-year keynote speech. Now, they say it takes a village, uh, <laughs> and planning any any event of, of considerable size takes... Uh, more than one per- person, right? I, my, I, it was me and a co-organizer to organize a 100-person event in Scranton. <laughs> it, ta- it takes more than one person for me to organize my family dinner. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you have several co-organizers, right? So, uh, in lieu of like the "do you have a mastermind?" question that I usually ask, maybe you can talk about what it's like, you know, working with several other people, as well as the WordPress Foundation, in order to plan a WordCamp of about 800 people, you said? We had 850 last year. 
Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So, so yeah. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? It, yeah. You need to have a really strong organization, organization team, and you do need to have people that are willing to step up and make decisions or to crack the whip sometimes. And that doesn't always have to be the lead organizer that does that. Our lead organizer, like we have a lot of people that love to help, but we're still having few people that want to be in the command chair necessarily, which is fine because sometimes it's the people around the command chair that do a lot of the decision making anyway. The lead organizer sometimes is just just the best way the lead organizer can do is just make sure everything is flowing properly. Uh, communication's a big help too, and I think once we got we got our Slack channel started two years ago, I think that also helped tremendously. And just communication and regular checkups are the big thing in organizing work camp of any size, especially one is especially once you get above like me. I think once you start getting above five hundred, it starts to exponentially increase in in complexity and needing additional people even for the same general task like instead of one sponsor coordinator or speaker coordinator you might need two or something like that yeah absolutely because i mean with you know we smaller word camps have maybe one or two tracks maybe a dozen speakers or so or so i can only imagine you know what it's like wrangling enough speakers to accommodate 850 people. And actually, that's a a great transition into the next question, right? Which is kind of the title question, which is how did you build it? And in this case, maybe you can take us through the process, uh, like a 10,000 foot overview of what it's like to plan uh, a WordCamp from kind of start to finish. And then some of the challenges that you run into for uh, a WordCamp of your scale. Well, I think the two Biggest things that you, with any WordCamp, especially ours, is the venue and the budget. The venue dictates kind of the date a lot of times, um, unless you have a lot of freedom. And for WordCamps, the venue can sometimes be free if you're, I guess, fortunate. So that's usually like a like a local college, university, or school, or some other venue like that. Um, other times, it's, it's paid for. So your venue is is the key thing and that's what as I, I do work camp mentoring as well and that's the first thing you talk about with a with a word camp is what, where your venue is going to be that dictates the size of your event that dictates a lot of times like how many tracks you have and and budget wise it's a foundation thing because venue sometimes can affect your you know if you cater and and a few other factors which affect your budget and and then the budget of course is the next vital thing and you know in terms of uh you know, what kind of money you can be bringing in and what support you'll be getting from the foundation in terms of dollar signs. So those are the two fundamentals that you would start off with. So just like, just like if you were coding, you know, just if you were, if you were establishing a boilerplate for a plugin or a theme or something, those would be part of the, that's, that's part of the boilerplate for, you know, getting a foundation for your event started. And for working in Miami, we've always, it's always been, there's always something that goes off every year, like, you know, like a venue can't give us this room or there's a scheduling conflict or something along those lines. And we have to flip flop on dates sometimes. But uh, so that's, that's probably one of the bigger, bigger things regarding the event itself for our event in particular. Gotcha. And and I know that. So uh, there's 
there's kind of two things I want to ask about based on what you said. And the first is is regarding budget. I think that'll inform the second question, right? So when you if if you decide today that, you know, if I decide today I want to plan a WordCamp Westchester, Pennsylvania, which uh, I probably wouldn't get because it's very close to Philly anyway. But I would go to the foundation. I would apply. And, and if I'm accepted, I'm not... I'm not starting at zero as far as money for the event goes. Is that right? Well, you're not putting up any money, but the foundation would initially. And right. before you would apply, there would be an assumption that you have a local community that would sustain it. So sometimes WordCamps start off with as little as 100 attendees, but as long as there is, because the WordPress Foundation will support the event as if they see an indication that that event is going to be a measure, like a level of success. And the bar can be set really low, but it's still a bar. So like if you have a meetup group, you know, that's, if you have a, if you have a strong is the best word, but maybe a consistent um, Mm -hmm. meetup group in, in your area, then that would be the first priority because that's where some of your speakers are going to come from. That's where your networking starts for promotion of the event. And when the, if the foundation sees that, then approves it, then they will, you know, they put up a percentage of, of money depending on the number of different factors. And then it's up to you to fill out the rest of the budget in terms of like trying to obtain sponsors. And sometimes an event can, like I said, if a venue is fortunate or event, event is fortunate and the venue is free, then food is usually the next biggest cost. So, and if you're having a small event, like a hundred people, that's, that's like a large meetup to me. So it's, it's, it's a it's a fair the the budget it's the budget can almost be I've seen WordCamps where like they just need like one or two smaller sponsors to help fill out the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. So so that's a great point, right? So the foundation isn't going to pay for the whole event. They expect that you will fundraise, but they'll give you either the necessary seed money or uh, recommend some percentage from them if you need it. Now, uh, I asked that first because. When it comes to venue, when you're getting the support of the foundation, there are some limitations on the venue, right? And I, and this was something that took me by surprise because I didn't know this up front. So if, if you're planning a WordCamp, what sort of things do you need to look for or look out for when you're choosing a venue? Well, location, location, location. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to make sure your venue is not a hole in the wall somewhere. And that doesn't mean it's a small venue, but just, you know, make sure it's, it looks like a proper place where people can actually meet. It's, yeah, it's not like some dude's basement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, you know, I, if, if somebody has a good basement and it fits, that's fine, right? Right. But uh, cost is cost is a big factor. The location, from if people are going to be traveling out of town, um, usually for your larger work camps that are, like, really, really local, you should, you should have it someplace where it should be get, easy to get to if somebody... He comes out of town. There's a bunch of different factors, unfortunately. And fortunately, the WordPress Foundation kind of gives a guide in terms of what selecting a selecting a good venue. There's um, everything from you know from larger things you would think immediately off the bat, like what you know are you allowed to cater? Are you allowed to bring in food? Is there Wi-Fi? <laughs> you know, those are pretty. <laughs> You know, in fact, Wi-Fi is probably comes before food on the priority scale for many people. <laughs> and down to the smaller things, too, like, you know, are rooms and easy to find? You know, are, are you know, is there 
bathrooms within a considerable distance? Is it accessible for for those who are disabled and, and all of all you know the, all those everything kind of factors into it. So unfortunately, the foundation has a checklist which you can go by. But that's yeah. If you've got power, if you've got uh, you know easy uh, easy enough access to food and Wi-Fi and enough seats and the technology that you need to have projectors, hopefully, and those are the basics. It really, it really, it's not a lot to serve a work camp from the very basic level. I've seen work camps do, you know, go by the bare bones. As long as you got people and they can put their butts in seats and you've got speakers and some sort of technology start, then you're, yeah, that's where you start from. Gotcha. That's, that's excellent. And so, Venue budget, what about speakers and sponsors? Because I think those are probably next on the priority list, right? It wouldn't be much of a conference if you didn't have speakers and sponsors. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your process? Well, I'm sure for Miami, you know, well, you get tons of applications. But if someone's just starting out, what do you think uh, the best thing to do to get speakers and sponsors is? Uh, getting speakers and sponsors for a WordCamp. Sponsors is always a challenge, especially if you're starting out. I think the there's it, it's a lot more of a crowded space and the motto is you know go for your local find sponsors in your local area that's a lot harder than it sounds and it is actually a challenge for a lot of the smaller word camps even for word camp miami our challenge is it's always somewhat of a challenge every year for us to grab sponsorships particular sponsorships um for us are the ones that are in the middle where you don't pay as much because you don't have a presence, but you still want to support the event. Those are actually the hardest sponsors for us to get because, you know, either you get somebody who wants to contribute to the community sponsorship or you have somebody like a big hosting company that wants to. So, so yeah, we're still looking for sponsors right now and we've been doing this for nine years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I do my best to keep the budget and the prices reasonable and, unless the word press foundation asks us to raise our prices, we rarely do. But still, looking for sponsors is tough. Uh, it helps to have that network of people starting in your meetup group to to be able to branch out from that and, um, and forming relationships with other meetup groups too. So it helps to have the network. Speakers, again, if you've been running a meetup, that's the first place to look for in terms of speakers. And the second most common way again is to branch out to other meetup groups. Like if there's a PHP or front end developers, a JavaScript meetup groups in your area, those are also places to ping and find uh, potential speakers too. So if you're starting off from, if you're starting off with a WordCamp, stay very local. As and if you want, if someone, you know, there could be a couple of people from the outside, especially you know some people from Automatic like to go to uh, to to WordCamps that. You know that are just starting out. I especially think of their travel as comped, but uh, but yeah, it's you know worry about your local speakers first, and and even and you don't get surprised. You, know, you could start surveying your meetup group way before WordCamp is even planned. Like, all right, hey, you've 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 spoken in a meetup before. How would you like to speed up a speak at a slightly larger? So that gotcha. that's 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 how to start. That's how to start these days. Work Camp Miami is a little bit different because we've been doing this for a long time. We've gotten more of an international, I don't know, attention, especially mm-hmm. in South America. 
where people like to come up from South America or the Caribbean because there's wow. not as many word camps down there, although that's growing. So our local percentage is a little bit less in terms of, well, in terms of percentage, but yeah, that's, <laughs> but yeah, we've, we've gotten, we've gotten, we've gotten to that part, but we still, even work in Miami, though, still, we reach out to other speakers. So one of the things I talk about frequently is don't just announce a speaker call and sit back and wait for the applications to come in. Even if you are a 2000, 3000 attendee event, because if you want diversity, then you, a lot of times you're going to have to work for it. So finding local meetup groups, not-for-profits, even parents, kids to have a really unique event. It's, you know, diverse, diverse events are unique events. And a lot of times you have to go out and, and invite people or invite organizations to apply and a larger, more diverse speaker application pool, the better diverse and interesting your event it will probably be. Gotcha. That's, that's some great advice. And uh, for anybody listening out there who wants to start a meetup group, uh, there's a great episode of how I built it with Liam Dempsey, who runs the uh, Philly Burbs meetup, one of the uh, older and more popular, at least regionally meetup groups. So definitely check that episode out if you want some tips on running a good meetup group. I can speak to the local sponsors thing. I have a lot of uh, I know a lot of people in the greater WordPress community. So finding sponsors that were not local was a bit easier for me. But getting the local buy-in was very tough. Uh, so tough, in fact, that I actually wrote like this open letter to the tech community in Scranton about the importance of supporting these smaller events. And that finally generated some buzz to to get people to sponsor this event and bring people together. And it was it was a very successful event, but don't get discouraged. It can be very frustrating to find sponsors, you know, uh, especially if it is your first year. Yeah. And a lot of it, like I said, a lot of it's networking and networking means that you attend other meetups and then shake some hands, show a face. You know, if you ping a meetup months down the road or something says, Hey, would you like to spread this around? It's they'll help you more enthusiastically if they know you, truly care about the larger community in general, not just your particular group. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great. And uh, so we are, we're coming up on the end of time here and uh, there's a, a couple of questions I still want to ask. So this was by no means a comprehensive guide to planning a WordCamp, uh, but there is, there are resources I will link in the show notes. What I want to ask you is what are the, what would you say are the biggest transformations that WordCamp Miami has gone through since it started in 2009? It's gone from renting a couple of uh, small side rooms at, a, at one university to, to grabbing the biggest spaces we can at these larger state universities. I, the size has been, you can't deny, we've gone from 200 to 850 in five, in five years. I don't see us growing probably any faster than that just because of the venue limitations. So that's probably going to be, you know, whatever whatever changes or transformations we make in the future, it's going to be based on something else. A lot of the transitions that, or a lot of the things that we've done, I think over the years um, in terms of like, we do speaker cards for, for the speakers, like yeah. they're like trading cards for, for speakers that, that we attend, we give out to the attendees randomly. And so they're forced to network together to try to collect them all. 
we also have done, I, I think what's made us so different from what we started in the beginning is also the, like the swag ideas that we've done, like the Wapu trading cards that we released to open source mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff like that. It, it doesn't, uh, and the, and the formats for the talks as well. Uh, we've tried, you know, we don't, we, we've tried like a variations of a beginners or 102 type of track on our primary conference day. We've always done a beginner's workshop, which has been consistent and that consistency helps us establish new people coming in. And then finally, I think in the last last year is a learn JavaScript deeply track, which is, I think, if not the only, if at least one of the few like official tracks devoted to JavaScript or Word for WordPress or for WordCamps, which was suggested. I mean, Matt Malloway came up with the idea and then we executed it about three months after his talk at that state of the word. So that I think is helping that we hope is going to encourage others to, to try that as well. And I think in Matt mentioned that very graciously in his last day of the word about uh, WordCamp Miami's efforts. And, ho- and we're really hoping that we're doing that again this time around. We're really hoping that catches on in 2017 more. Gotcha. That's, that's all great. Very creative stuff for a constantly evolving WordCamp, which is great. And, and what are your plans for the future? We've got, well, our 10th anniversary is 2018. So we're starting nice. to make plans for that. And we've got some interesting ideas in terms of how we can schedule that. That obviously I'm not going to mention here specifically because that's going to, I'm, yeah. I'm worried, I'm worried about our ninth. <laughs> I'm too busy worried about our, too busy to worry about our 10th. But yeah, there, for the future, I think, you know, it's not being, it's not being about the biggest and the best to, it's not a competition other than to compete with ourselves. So as long as we have a, a successful event for, and, and all the, whether it's 800 people or 700 or so forth, I, I personally, I personally am, I'm comfortable with our attendance levels. Actually, we've gotten a number of people asking us when is work camp or work camp US coming to Miami. And, or, and I say, well, fuck that in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, I'm really not. It does have its advantages, though. I have to admit, the weather is in December is you can't beat it. But then anyway, yeah. I, I've as far as uh, success goes moving forward, I think we just you know keep making people happy, and we keep getting good positive feedback from the event because, and then we get and the sponsors too. I think a part of a successful event for this long is how many sponsors you get back. And we've gotten some excellent feedback from sponsors and that's part of how I qualify the, uh, you know, how we're doing well. In fact, uh, Tony Perez gave a very high marks to WordCamp Miami recently in a WP Tavern article about WordCamp sponsorships. So it's that kind of feedback that, that we consider that we're doing something right. <laughs> awesome. And okay. So with the, the last minute or so here, uh, I want to ask you my favorite question. Do you have any trade secrets for us? There are no secrets because practically it's an open book, right? So I'm a WordCamp mentor. I try to attend the community summits. So I have, what part What part makes a WordPress conference or a WordCamp successful is that you don't keep secrets. You share, <laughs> you share your knowledge. To that end though, I mean, we do, you know, anything that I could share would be something probably limited in terms of swag or 
it's along those lines. One of the things, though, that maybe I would share is that we're doing something new where Can't Mind Me in March. We're incorporating a speaker tool, and I can provide you a link for the show notes for it. Yeah. By the time this airs, it's already going to happen. So, But the link I can share right now is for a preview of it. We are, where Camp Miami is, I think a trade secret would be try to find something that it, that your work camp does that very few work camps are doing or can make you stand out in some way. So that's why we started the JavaScript track and all of that. So that's, an, that's not really a secret, but it is, I think, if you are... If you're doing a work camp for a number of years, always try to find something to spice things up and make yourself stand out a little from a lot of the crowd. And Miami's doing that through a site that uh, right now it's called conferencia.io. But long story short was we're giving people the opportunity at WordCamp this year to pick up their phone and do a live like feedback system when the speaker talks. But it's not a, they're not typing anything. They're actually pushing a few emojis and those emojis are oh, going to wow. get stored. Those emojis are going to get stored. So the speakers will be able to go back and look and see, Oh, this person clapped here at the five minute mark. And this person laughed here. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, that's, that's already been kind of uh, tested already at WP campus. So yeah, I'll provide a link in the show notes for it. And that, you know, like I said, not really a, not really, not really a secret because I've been blabbing about this now for almost a year. In fact, I did a talk at WordCamp US about the site in general. But if there is a secret, you know, it is that you try to find something unique. And probably too would be another trade secret is try to be involved in the actual process of these decisions that are being made for WordCamps. You know, the make.wordpress.org community channel. If you want to be more deeply involved in or get a better picture of how work camps are run and how decisions are made in the latest updates, that is definitely a place to, to enhance yourself. In fact, there's a question up there right now. I think they're restarting the discussion about it. Should work camps pay for speaker travel? So, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. No problem. And the, the, you know, the blackmail has nothing to do with it. I'm sure. <laughs> We'll try to keep that under wraps for at least a, a few more months. That's that's going to be edited out, I know. But yeah. Thanks so much to our great guest and our awesome sponsors. And most importantly, thank you. The show wouldn't be where it is today without your support over the last few months. I couldn't have imagined that the show would be as big as it is. At the time of this recording, I'm approaching 50,000 downloads total in less than a year. And I, I am ecstatic about that. And for season three, I want to learn more about you. So I've put together a survey. If you go to builtpodcast.net slash survey, just a little bit of information about who you are and what you do and what you like so I can deliver the best content for you. Again, that's builtpodcast.net slash survey. And once again, thank you so much for listening as we wind down season two. I'm really looking forward to season three. It's going to be our best yet. And until next time, get out there and build something.